You know, I was looking for something else, and that ended up being classic rock and heavy metal. A to Z, innit? All right, hello and welcome back to Maiden A to Z. My name is Eric, and with me, as always, is my co-host Jonathan. I am here. We have a, an ex- esteemed guest in the house today, as mm. well. It's like, could this be the probably second crossover on the network on our show? I think we have had uh, yes Dave from Lap of the Pods before. We have a few more in the plans, but today it's all George Silano from Metal Gods Podcast. On our network, Judas Priest show, maybe the only Judas Priest pod out there, or are you? Could be another one, I guess. Wow, you know, that's the first time someone has called me esteemed, and now <laughs> I feel like one of the cool kids that I finally get to be on made in A to Z. <laughs> Damn right. I see you're taking a sip right now. I will too. I'll drink to that. Yeah, there we go. Cool. I haven't seen any other Priest pods. Are there? I haven't either, and basically, that's why... I was inspired to start a priest podcast. It's because I couldn't believe that there wasn't one and I wanted one to exist. Yeah. If there already was one, maybe I wouldn't even be doing what I'm doing. Maybe I would just be listening. Right. But I figured, hey, someone's got to do it. So yep. me and my best friend, Tom, who I go way back with, we started up and we're having a blast. We do one song a week and really break it down like the Maiden A to Z guys. But we don't go alphabetical. We just go random because we like to have the listeners not know what's coming up. We want it to be a surprise. And when we first started, it was the two of us just hanging and chatting over beers, sort of a talking maiden vibe. But as of more recently, it's become more of a maiden A to Z vibe because we've had a rotating cast of guests and it's been really cool to get new people's perspectives, hear people's stories about growing up with Judas Priest And the cool thing about the guests is everyone wants to talk about a different song because everyone has their own songs that have personal meaning to them, much like this show. And I really enjoy that sort of uh, alternate voices and perspectives we get from that. So actually, uh, for the listeners, we had Eric on the episode for Judas Rising that aired a few weeks ago. And we will be having Jonathan soon enough. So stay tuned for that. Killer track as well. Let's keep it under the wraps. I assume you guys like Jonathan and Eric if you listen to them talk every week. So I'm listening to them talk on my show too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Always more to say. Yeah, I was going to say about that. uh, I made it no secret. I was a big fan of Talking Maiden. It was my favorite podcast for a bit there. And I think maybe I wouldn't have started Maiden ATC unless they they ended it. But when we started, I was initially thinking we, we have to do something different, right? So I was hoping for guests. And Eric was actually more confident than me that, yeah, yeah, we're going to have guests. Don't worry, man. We're going to have lots of guests. If, if you build it, they will come. Yeah. <laughs> are they really going to be there? But now we are legion. <laughs> That's what we're doing. We're building a community together, like building these pockets of metal communities where these really great discussions are being created. And that's the yeah. fun of it. Yep. Meeting new people, building connections, getting people talking to each other. It's great. Yep. It's interesting because I'm sort of like, you know, I, I almost don't see this as just our podcast anymore. Since we have like a rotating crew, mm-hmm. maybe like, I mean, it's, it's got to be almost upwards of 20 at this point. So I feel like it's still kind of like everyone, all of theirs as well. 
Um, even though kind of, you know, technically it is me and Jonathan sort of, you know, put, you know, in the driver's seat or like, you know, it, it's, it, it, it wouldn't work without everyone else, I feel, at this no, point. So. No, it wouldn't. I mean, I guess if we never had guests, we would be maybe used to it. But now if like the news came in, hey, guys, you're going to have to do it alone for the rest of it. Not sure I could do it. No, I don't think so either. No, that'd be, that'd be, that'd, that'd be rough. Uh, no, I mean, no, no offense. I mean, <laughs> not taken. The rare occasion when it's just you and me, I like it because then it's sort of like yeah, you know, yeah. back to back to the planning room or something like that. You know. Yeah. I did a quick search here and I couldn't find any other uh, priest podcasts. There we go. So I think you guys might be the only ones going. Yeah, made a hell of a sense when you got introduced to the network because uh, uh, I was just sort of waiting for the for Deep Dive Network to ask us. It was like, uh, you know. Couldn't believe it took you so long uh, in a romantic comedy or something when they asked. <laughs> uh, but since then, a, a hell of a lot of shows have hopped on and all good too. And the podcast will rock. I should mention, I haven't mentioned it on air before. Van Halen pod. Uh, our friend Greg is oh, going to be there. Yeah. I'm going to be there eventually as well. Oh, see, is he, is he, you probably said this already. Is he, is he, he's not the one doing it though. He's no, just no, no, guessing, just guessing. Right? I'm still asking him to do it. Right. He, he would be a great host for a pod, but you know, he's got his yeah. critters running and. All over the place and working and all that, you know. He's not far from you, though, uh, George. I, I gathered and not terribly far. You're in New York State, right? We've had Greg actually on our show as well. Yep, uh, talking mm. some priest. Uh, not a specific song, but we just covered all the topics that came to mind. Talking about sad wings of destiny, jugulator, firepower, and getting his opinions on various albums because he had so much to say. We talked a little bit about his band. Yeah, Greg's a cool dude. We yeah. like him. Yeah, he's a, yeah, he's a, he's a fun guy. And he was, he's been very humble about that band. He didn't even mention it on our pod. He's been on our pod, I guess, six times or something. And uh, he didn't mention, uh, what's the name again? Now I'm losing it. That's bad. Uh, fatal. Oh, their Fatal Curse. Fatal Curse. That's right. Yeah, they're on Shadow Kingdom Records. Mm-hmm. And he didn't mention that, you know, nice. but uh, humble guy, I guess, you know. We have, we have a lot of those, don't we? Because, like, you know, it's not like Henrik really. Overly yeah, yeah but Hen- Henrik is it's a, it's a league of his own in not mentioning shit. You know, stuff that I would love to hear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's just, you know, he calls it a condition. Yeah, but let's leave it at yeah, that. Yeah, well, there we go. Either way, um, so, so George, why don't you, uh, since you are the first, first time on our show, why don't you... Uh, Regale us with your Maiden sort of origin story. You want to hear my Iron Maiden origin story? Okay. We do indeed. I'll try not to make this sound too rehearsed because I actually told this on Uncle Steve's Iron Maiden podcast a few Uh months ago. Shout out to Uncle Steve. The first time I heard Iron Maiden was in a video game and it was one of the versions of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater on the PlayStation 2. That was a good series. Love that one. And... It was Number of the Beast. Just what I saw in my old dreams Were the reflections of my woman staring back at me Cause in my dreams It's always there The evil face that twists my mind And brings me to despair I had never heard anything like it up to that point. I think I was about 13 years old and the song, it just grabbed me and I had to hear it again. And I went in the options menu of the video game and I went to the soundtrack and I turned off all the songs except number of the beast. And so (laughs) I was playing the game with just that one song on repeat because I couldn't get enough of it. And then as soon as I saved up some Christmas money, I just went out and I grabbed a bunch of CDs and Number of the Beast was one of them. And Maiden ended up being like one of the original metal bands that I started getting into when I first started listening to this type of music. And 
it's been just uh, mostly a loving relationship from there. They lost me for a few years uh, around the time of Matter of Life and Death and Final Frontier. Mm -hmm. But then Book of Souls and the Legacy of Beast Tour brought me back big time. And I've been just a diehard even more than I, maybe even more so now than I was when I was younger. Similar pattern for me, actually. Wavering around the same time and then getting back in at the same time, too. Yeah. I think a lot of people did actually. I think so. that's sort of the that's sort of the what we've heard a few times of people kind of around that. Um, yeah, I guess you get some you know, type uh, of buyer's better. remorse at some point. Most do, I guess. Like, should this should well, I, I mean, spend yeah, all I this guess, time on know, this band? Uh, the question, the answer is clearly yes. By now, you know, but uh, it was a lot of things to discover, I guess, especially during those years, oh yeah. um, six until eleven. So same period mm-hmm. for me. Mm-hmm. I was really like not really paying that much attention to Maiden at that time. Now I look back and I regret it, like having missed a few tours. Oh, they yeah. went on. Same. I missed that show when they played the entire album. That's like a, something you should see. That's totally unique. Uh, Eric, you saw it, right? Yeah. I saw it three times. <laughs> Let's go. You saw it once for me, so once cool. for you, and once for um, the king of the country. There you go. Because he probably wasn't there. Um, but also, like the one year, the one that I missed for no apparent reason that I can think of at this point, I missed the 2013 tour, the Made in England tour, and I really regret that. that one once but half of it was for you thank you (laughs) i barely remember that tour happening and i don't know if it's because i wasn't paying attention or because they didn't advertise it well in the u.s but i don't even really remember hearing about it i don't remember hearing about much between final frontier and book of souls the u.s market has always been a bit uh, sidelined for maiden you know or not always actually during like power slave years they were big but uh, they've had some trouble getting proper traction over there. And, you know, since you're in from Metal Gods, funnily enough, Priest was way bigger than, than Maiden for a bit there. They sure were. Yeah, they, they actually made it in America. And also, I mean, they adapted the sound to, to um, sort of do that. But so did Maiden. You know, Flight of Icarus was written as a, this should be an American hit kind of track. So, so did Maiden. All of them did, you know. It's not, it's not setting out. Uh, boys and girls is uh, not so they only they only did apparently on this on the 2017 run they only did seven dates in the u.s oh yeah tiny 51 states yeah. i think legacy of the beast did pretty well though and yeah everyone yep. i know who saw it they had a great time uh-huh that was a great tour that was a good one
back to the story. Um, Tony Hawk, how old at that time? I was about 13 or 14 mm-hmm. and I was just kind of starting to get into music. And as a kid, maybe this is weird, but I wasn't really vibing with the type of music that was popular growing up. I wasn't really into the whole Blink-182 hip hop thing that was on the radio a lot at that time, at least since then my musical taste has expanded to liking almost everything. But at the time, you know, I was looking for something else and that I hadn't found yet. And that ended up being hard rock, classic rock and heavy metal. So at like age 13, 14, that's when I started finding that stuff. I started finding Judas Priest, Metallica, Guns N' Roses, Megadeth. Slayer is a big one. Mm-hmm. Slayer, of course. There's something very magical. And I kind of like, it's been a, it's obviously, for obvious reasons, it's hard to have that now. And the fact that when you sort of just start getting into a world of that kind of, you know, we're just discovering it and how much like that, how much cool stuff there is to discover and how everything is new and fresh. And obviously for obvious reasons, you know, as you, you know, it's because a lot of times people will say, you get older people say, oh, there's not as many new bands, you know, it's different, you know, nowadays. That's not true at all. The only difference is when you first start out, you haven't heard anything. So everything is new and fresh and magic and magical. Also, speaking of which, happy birthday to Mr. Steve Harris. Happy birthday, Mr. Harris. How old is he? 66. Wow. Doesn't look a day over 56. No. And as you know, it's funny because I think like, you know, you know, obviously like when you say happy birthday to him, like, oh, he's not going to hear this. But I, I'm pretty sure that like someone with somewhat connected to them is aware of what's going on. It, like when I, I realize just, just having a former member on, there's no way. Yeah, well, I think we're one degree of separation at this point, you know. Oh yeah, definitely. So yeah, there was this uh, small tangent here, but there was this Swedish show, Six Degrees of Separation, where they tried to, they went to a random country like Nepal or some place in Africa, and they meet a random person, and then they try to find Buzz Aldrin within Six Degrees of Separation. Or, or it's, it's not just Buzz. No, Aldrin. that was one of the shows, but <laughs> it worked usually. That's my point. So it's yeah. really, a, you know, they kind of prove that theory right. And I think if we're yeah. doing a maiden uh, podcast, it's usually one or two degrees of separation. That's it, you know. Maiden A to Z, innit? So here we are. We have an intenuary today, as per usual. Yes. Yep, yep. We're getting back into newer Maiden. I talked with Eric before the mics went hot. What is new Maiden today? I drew the, drew the line at um, Dance of Death, and Eric argued, I'm not sure if that's new Maiden. I'm not sure if A Matter of Life and Death or even Final Frontier is new Maiden at this point. Final Frontier is no, how old? They, Ten years old? I think 11 at this yeah. point. Mm. Let's look at the context, because they don't put out albums nearly as often as they used to. So if you wanted to find new as maybe the most recent 25% of their work, and this is a band that has 17 albums, yep. I guess that's like the last four or five albums. Well, that yeah. works with my version then, my orbit- arbitrary version of what's new. So I would say, okay, newish songs today, right, Eric? It's kind of newish. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, it's weird. Actually, just sort of quickly, uh, I, I caught myself doing this the other day, uh, just re- in reference to the Foo Fighters, uh, their third album that came in that came 1999, I still refer to that as the, the new the new album, and it's not the new album at this point. Also, they've released like fucking like like seven albums. Was since that with then. Monkey Wrench? Me, that, that? No, that's the one. Uh, that's the one with uh, Learn to Fly okay. and uh, uh, a couple others. No, but just that was the first one that that was released when I was getting to be a fan. So for me, that's still new. That's not new. It's fucking you know, it's fucking like twenty. Yeah, 20, that's 20 a very years different perspective, Eric. That's an old album. Yeah. That was an old <laughs> yes, album when so, I first so heard it. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, anything that's t- 10 years or younger is new, I guess we'll say. That's that, that for- I guess Eric was an old man when I met him 15 <laughs> years ago. Yes. <laughs> I don't know when yeah, it was, when we ran into each other the first yeah. time. Not sure. Yeah. But yeah, or ancient, as, as Camilla would claim. 
Yeah, or archaic. Or archaic. Archaic is another word that's been thrown around a lot. Well, that's a, like a constant gag going on about how fucking old you are. Yes, that is that is a the a, sor- a source of much joy for someone in the strengthened by George's uh, co-host Tom, who keeps repeating that he's ancient and he's fucking twenty-eight or something. <laughs> well, how old is he? He's not even thirty. He's, he's a kid. <laughs> he's twenty-nine. <laughs> so yeah, okay. So I, I'm ten years older than a guy who thinks he's ancient. <laughs> that makes you feel good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And on that account, let's get going then. Yeah, let's to to, to quote Vince Vaughn and Sarskin Hutch. Let's get that's what I said. Let's get down to business so we can get back to the business of getting down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's so fucking ridiculous. Edit all that out. I don't know. You nailed that. That's gonna be in, and it's gonna be with echo on. Thank you. You can put some funky like you know Sarskin Hutch music behind that. <laughs> First up here is a, a slightly odd song, yeah. I'd say, and kind of uh, st- stands out a little I bit. I love Avalon. And if I'm not wrong, George kind of requested this one, I think, or pinpointed it at least. Like, this is one I want to well, do. What happened was, we were talking way back when, uh, this was the first one that was free, I think, right? <laughs> Maybe. You know what? I said, sign me up. Give me the first one that's yeah. free. Okay. But okay. I won't say that I'm displeased with the choices that I was given because I think there's a lot that we could be saying about Isle of Avalon and the other song we're doing. I won't say it. We'll get into it later. But, uh, George, if you take the lead on this track, uh, what is it all about? You know, where are we in time or uh, who, who composed this? Uh, you know, what are we looking at here? Isle of Avalon. Sure. Now, is this one a Smith-Harris composition? Sounds like it. Yeah. Didn't double-check this time, but it sounds a lot Smith-Harris for me. You and I have in common that we both were sort of falling out of Iron Maiden, falling out of love with them a little bit during this time period, the whole Final Frontier era, and I, I sort of seem to recognize this song in the Final Frontier album as a whole, as part of a symptom of what was going on for me and falling out of love with Iron Maiden, I just didn't get what they were doing at all on Final Frontier. It came out and I listened to it a few times and it it didn't click. They were going somewhere different. Like Maiden has always had the progressive rock and progressive metal elements in them to some extent, Mm -hmm. but I think the furthest they ever pushed that up to this point was Final Frontier. They really went a lot deeper into that direction. The songs got longer and they expanded in scope, not just instrumentally, but also lyrically. And Isle of Avalon, back when I was first listening to it, when the album came out 10 plus years ago, good lord, has it been that long? But I just... I was hearing these nine-minute songs and thinking, when is it going to get somewhere? What are they doing? What what are they trying to say with all this time? And I may not have been giving it enough of a chance, and I may not have been mature enough, because this is a song that you really have to sort of devote yourself to in order to start to get it. It's like they're trying to take you on a journey and it's not a song like the trooper where they're trying to bash your brains out and rock your face off for four minutes and throw a metal party. This is a song where they're telling you a story and sort of transporting you on a audio visual journey. Mm -hmm. The visual you have to add yourself, but I get what you mean. Yeah. Uh, I was actually walking outside today. It was a nice, nice sunny day. The last of the snow is melting out outside and, I was listening to it, and I was thinking about Dave Moody from Lap of the Pods and um, also Tom Quee from Alphabetalica claiming that Maiden have never been really progressive. There's more, you know, long songs. They don't really master that sort of progressive format. And as I was listening to Isle of Avalon today, I was walking in the park. I saw some some nice dogs running around and frolicking, and, I, and they kind of matched the music in a weird way, and I figured this is actually prog. You know, this song is actually a prog metal tune. We, you know, I, I could 
you know, I, I, I could live by that statement. And um, I think I'm, I'm in complete accordance with you in that uh, Final Frontier is where they pushed the prog aspects the furthest. We get into a bit of the geeky details on why this song is uh, progressive in a while. But yeah, definitely mm -hmm. with you there. It's 906 long, so it's long, which is, you know, something they've done uh, repeatedly. But it's also progressive in a way. You know, it's adventurous, I would say. It's an adventurous type tune. What do you think, Eric? Well, I uh, this was one of the, f the ones I actually did uh, like right off the bat when I heard it. There's a lot of stuff in this album that took me quite a while to get into. And there's even like one or two that took me a couple of years to get into where I like, actually, yeah, I do like this. And one song in particular was just like the last couple of years even. Um, but this one I did kind of... Uh, it had all the bits I kind of, uh, when, I was, it, when I saw the title, I sort of had an, an, an idea what it might be. And I, I kind of got that. I kind of got what I wanted there. Um, I don't know that it needs to be nine minutes long. We'll get into that too. <laughs> but, <laughs> I have some ideas. Yep. <laughs> uh, but also, I just, it dawned to me, like, there's only one song on the album that's under, well, the shortest one is The Alchemist, right? It's a very elongated album. It's longer than Book of Souls if you take away uh, Empire of the Clouds. It's actually longer than the rest of Book of Souls, so it's a, yeah. it's a very long album. It's uh, but there's I mean, there's I think there's 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 examples on the album uh, that I feel are more. I don't want to use the word tedious, but I can't think of anything better right now, so I'm going to use the word tedious um, than this song because yeah, it's nine minutes, which is, might be a bit long, but there's other ones I feel sort of you know outstay the welcome way more than this one does. Maybe not um, tedious, but excessive because excessive there excessive is not strictly negative in and of itself like yeah, yeah. if there's a nine minute song that would run better at eight minutes it's still a good song but it's yeah. excessive yeah uh, excessive rather than tedious is a better word excessive yeah and, and you mentioned it there there's i'll get into which part i would cut of the song which may, may may make it something like eight minutes or seven and a half but i'll get into that in a bit uh, if we start from the top i looked at this riff today You know that one? Yeah, yeah. It's sort of, uh, you know, Number of the Beast in there, you know. But then they add that um, mm. uh, nice uh, flavor with the, they have the major third, but they have the minor sixth, which creates that tension at the end of the riff, uh, which I like. It makes an adventurous mood. I'm not sure what that scale is called, actually, when you, when you mix those up. It has a kind of like a sort of, mystical kind of vibe to it which is obviously kind of what probably they're going for the song if you get given the, what it's about um but if you play that in complete major key which yeah. number of the beast sort of is the intro it sounds very silly so that addition of the sorrowful sixth as you call it in film composition is a very sad type note you find it in riffs like uh, moonchild verse creates a very nice atmosphere i think it's a very cool uh, plucked riff what do you think about this intro george that's exactly the part that sets the tone isn't it yeah now i was researching the song this morning trying to see what other people were saying about it and there was one comment that i couldn't possibly phrase it better than that they said you can almost see the mist of the island when they play yes. that part yeah and yes and if we're going back to what i said before about the songs on Final Frontier that take you on a journey. This is one of them. Mm. And this is the part where it starts to form the image in your mind. Yep. bass is just hammering a note which I would believe would be E. Yeah, that's probably a safe bet. So, a great way to open a track. Uh, in a way, sounds like typical uh, millennia era Maiden, but I think a bit refined. You know, They finessed the game a little bit here, or maybe Smith did. Sounds like a Smith riff. And um, mm. that, that mix of minor and major is what it gets to, you know. 
Uh, and you don't even have to know any music theory to, to get that. You know, most people know that major is the happy one and minor is slightly more sad or dramatic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's easy to tell apart by ear. Yeah. For a person who knows nothing about music like me, yeah, even I could recognize a major or a minor. Yeah, I try my best for everything to work, you know, if you don't know it, because this is not a musician's podcast. But, uh, but yeah, the mix of that creates an ambiguity, I think. There's an ambivalence created in, in mixing minor and major that is perfect for an adventurous feel. And what is it all about then, if you get in the lyrics a little bit? Uh, I'm not sure. It sounds like something very well, mythical, like a myth, uh, mythical story. Of sorts. Well, Avalon, if I recall, let me just, I'm going to just check this to get this right. Um, let's see here, because that has something to do with King Arthur, if I'm correct here. Correct. Let's see. So you might think this is in the great tradition of Iron Maiden songs that have nothing to do with w- the thing that they're based on. Uh, it's not based on the legend of Arthur and Avalon at all. Okay. Mm. Oh, well. there's a short story or a short novel by Kathy Jones called The Goddess in Glastonbury oh. that is, I would say, a different, more authentic retelling of the sort of Celtic legends of mm. old and folklore. And so that's actually, that short novel, The Goddess in Glastonbury, is actually where a lot of these lyrical concepts are coming from. So The Isle of the Dead is the gateway to Anwen, the underworld of the goddess, where the souls of the deceased await their rebirth. That's cool. I I would have just assumed just because I saw Avalon up until since hearing this song, seeing the title, up until just now, I assumed it was Arthur. I did a quick Google here and I ran into this paragraph. Um, From time immemorial, the Isle of Avalon in the Summerland, Somerset, England, has been home to the goddess. So that's the goddess mentioned, right? This ancient sacred place is the legendary Western Isle of the Dead. That sounds maiden. Dedicated to an awesome and powerful goddess. Yeah, they actually use awesome. (laughs) This uh, island lay far to the west in a shining sea. People were called here to die, to be transformed and to be reborn. Interesting. And that goes back to a common theme in a lot of sort of paganry and older animist religions where there's sort of the cycle of death and rebirth. And after you pass away in this version of the Celtic legend, then your soul goes into this underworld awaiting and you become part of the land you become part of the earth again it's interesting yeah and they mention celtic at some point in the lyrics yeah so it's uh let's see i saw it just now mortal conflict born of celtic legend well that's that's interesting that makes that makes this actually way more interesting i feel what is that actually called you know they ha- it's a central pillar in buddhism oh uh, reincarnation reincarnation yeah has some of that yeah. when you talk about immortal souls right so the soul itself does not die. Right. Well, also they get, you know, reincarnation. Speaking of that, I guess, you know, in a, quite a while, there's, there's another song by Maiden that infamously uh, deals with that. When we are on the lyrics, you have uh, this goddess, This, uh, according to this website I ran onto, the awesome goddess uh, is addressed here, fertility mother goddess, celebration, sow the seeds of the born. 
the fruit of her body laden through the corn doll. The corn doll. That also, also sounds like some kind of artifact or, you know, legendary item or person. I don't know. Or like a... You've never heard of the corn doll before. Talisman of some kind or some kind of... Um, right, right. Yeah, yeah like an yeah. artifact could be the word, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's a ritualistic aspect to that part, the corn doll specifically. So going back to this text, and I'm taking excerpts of it from the goddess in Glastonbury. So they have something called the festival of the mother goddess or Lammas. Lammas is the time of celebration for the fertility of the mother goddess and the fruits of her body, which is the earth. And the first sheaves of ripened corn are made into a corn doll or a barley doll in the image of the mother goddess. And so the corn doll is blessed and kept inside the hearth through the autumn. Sounds very pagan, right? Exactly. Uh, like celebrating fertility. You have that sort of, um, I guess, the history of Easter, for example. Celebrating uh, uh, life and rebirth and fertility and even sex, you know. And the Wicker Man deals with that a little bit too. Yeah. Yeah. So they have uh, ventured into these uh, very interesting, in my opinion, uh, pagan mm. rituals. It's very interesting also to look at them in light of uh, how Christianity took over those particular holidays. And they had to match them because you can't just swipe the rug away underneath history. You have to sort of recreate it. Same thing with Christmas, uh, Saturnalia feast, yeah, yeah. like in you know in pagan Rome, which was entirely different to what Christmas is today. What Christmas is today was arguably created only a hundred years ago or so, and then even colored red by Coca Cola. No, I just just thinking just, it's, it's weird because it just sort of this is also like a random thing that just is interesting to me, perhaps. More so, but it's just the fact that I assume that the, the these these pagans probably did not think of themselves as pagans. Oh no, <laughs> would they? Because that's that's what the rich Christians call oh, them. No. Well, you know, we're, we are strange believers, all of us. Please don't cancel us over our inability to have the exact names of these tribes and cultures that existed a thousand years ago. Yeah, I mean, also, you know, to be fair, no one's around anymore to complain. The Christians killed them all. So anyway, let's. <laughs> Most of them, anyway. But the spirit lives on, Eric. The spirit lives on. It does. That's true. My favorite bit of lyrics, or maybe it's not so much the lyrics, just the way this bit is sung. It's the very end. These uh, the last uh, the last words, uh, uh, you know, uh, lost souls on the Isle of the Dead, and he sort of lets the last, you know, the, uh, it sort of rings out in this kind of way, like they you know, hit it like in a way they usually don't do, you know, like a, a maiden song. Maybe maybe you could play that bit or just splice it in here so people know what I'm talking about. It's too bad they didn't play it. Bust this one out, yeah, on the Final Frontier tour. I don't think the pacing might have worked for a lot of the audience. Like the beginning, it takes yeah, a little while to kick in, and then that rush part in the middle. The rush fans would love it. The prog fans would love it. The old heads would not love it. But I had problems with coming home and uh, where the wild wind blows. Didn't work at all for me at that time. I would much rather have heard Isle of Avalon, but maybe I'm more of a prog geek than 90% of that audience. Could be a fair assumption. I would have loved Mother of Mercy and mm. Alchemist personally. Like, if you want to throw in a couple speedy bangers for the old heads, why do you have to trot out two minutes for midnight for the hundredth time? Like. Yeah. There agreed, are four-minute rockers that Maiden has done within the last few years, like Speed of Light and Rainmaker, that they and Different World that they could be trying to push a little harder to get those old heads to see that Maiden can still do some of this rocking stuff too. Yep, agreed. Yeah, definitely. And, uh, I think that setlist for me was a huge disappointment at Ulivi, but in Vivo, I love. I think it's a basically a performance-wise. A super strong Maiden album. And you, you mentioned Two Minutes to Midnight. I completely agree with you. But the version on Envivo, probably the best Steve, you know, track ever. Right. 
monster on on two minutes on in vivo. I can agree with that. Good choice of show because that show yeah. made me, you know, reverse my my own memories and and turn that tour into you know what Maiden usually does, which is an amazing tour. So the disappointment sort of you know changed after the fact for me because of that live album. Yeah, yeah. and in fact, let's talk about in vivo because it's not too far off topic because not at all. It's the live album from the tour this was on. Yeah, I think that uh, I would have liked more Final Frontier songs, and like you said, because that performance as a whole, very strong. Very that strong. might even be a top three live album from Iron Maiden. Yeah. Strangely enough. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I agree. Yeah, I, I think, again, the thing of me is, uh, I'll say When the Wild Wind Blows, and you know, we're not getting that song in a, for a long time, but I'll say that is one of my favorite songs in the album. I really love that song. I don't think it should have done a live. Um, yeah. I think there's other things they could have done and gotten some more stuff in there because they also already had the talisman. They played it because of Steve's ego. It was the one yeah. song he wrote on Definitely. his own, and it was yeah. the closer. And he thought yeah. it was the grand epic masterpiece. And yeah. I feel like I, I, I kind of yeah. agree with that, but I think that there's other songs that could have. Yeah. When they found them, had their arms wrapped around each other, tins of poison lying near by their clothes. The day they both mistook an earthquake for the fallout Just another when the wild wind blows Final Frontier, you know, tough album. A lot of fans I meet, they're, you know, super fans. They follow the band. Uh, there was this girl working in a bar where I was a uh, front of house engineer sound engineer and she followed them in canada and us you know she forked out you know three four grand uh, us dollars to do that so she followed them on legacy i could add but um, final frontier was her least favorite and she loved everything they'd done you know the super fan type type person and that was still you know sort of like i haven't gotten as far into the album i think it's a bit of a black sheep in the family sort of now just out of curiosity for me is that someone i would know uh, i don't know i don't know uh, maybe or maybe not, actually. No, like, uh, embarrassingly enough, her name escapes me, so we can't check that now. <laughs> but but may- maybe, maybe not. Oh, fair enough. American, though. I think she was American, but living here. Anyway. Uh, who knows? So if you're American but living here and know Jonathan, but don't, don't think Jonathan knows your name, you might be the person we're talking about to get in touch. They're probably She's probably not listening. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> Hey, if she's a big enough Maiden fan to follow them around, maybe she is listening. Yeah, yeah. But believe it or not, some huge Maiden fans are still not into our show. But some minor Maiden fans are into our show. So, you know, it adds up anyway. I mean, generally speaking, when you talk to people uh, about the newer, you know, say the, let's, let's, let's call it the post-2000 era, this tends to be the one they kind of, you know, is sort of the weak link, yeah. I, I think. Yeah, in the, in the, I think, I even, I think I'd, I'd agree with that even. Me and too. if you had talked to me years ago, I would have agreed with you too. It, I did get into it eventually. I got really, really into it, but it took me a while to get there. Like it, it took me sitting down and saying, "I'm just going to try this with a fresh perspective, and I'm going to give it my full attention. I'm going to smoke a big fat joint mm. and pull up the lyrics and see if I can really figure out what's going on." And that's when it hit me. And it's an album that I guess you have to be in the mood for and you have to be ready to dedicate yourself to a deep listen where there's a lot going on. But that's not super different than how people feel about the X Factor or A Matter of Life and Death, because those are also some pretty lengthy 70 plus minute opuses with a lot of epic songs that go through these different time signature changes. For me, when I listen to this album today, I'm always thinking, let's say five minutes into listening to a track, that, hell, why have I listened to this album so little? This is awesome. But then it gets a bit wary on me, you know. I get wary from listening to it. Something about it makes it a rough listen, even when you're into, you know, the songs. I guess it's that unlengthened thing that might get a little rough on you. Uh, there's a part in this song that I will mention in a while that also that kind of drags well, it down. Well, yeah, that's... Well, while we get to the music bit. Yeah, we can. Uh, we talked about the intro already. And um, 
you know, the cool vibe there. He sings on top of it too, which I think is a great idea because you have that ambiguous um, tonal language. So great for Bruce to, you know, rip out on. It stays on for quite a bit, which I like, because that's a riff that you can linger on, the, the kind of plucked riff. What happens next? Will amaze you. Will amaze <laughs> you. Where, where does it Where does it transfer from, from that part? Uh, oh yeah, it's the pre-chorus thing, uh, with the hits. Da, 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 thing. Yeah. Because it goes very, it's very, it's sort of like it goes, it has this sort of, you know, it's building, 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 and then all of a sudden it kind of hits off with those those hits, and that launches it into the next bit. Um, the whole Mother Earth, I Can Hear You, or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think it does take kind of a little too long to get there. That's like no. two minutes and 47, and as much as I love that beginning riff, uh, I think that they can shave a minute off that turn this nine minute song into an eight minute song yeah i mean i'm sure greg would agree with you on that one he's sitting there in buffalo pounding sugar cookie ale yelling at the computer Greg's my boy. i actually think the intro is cool enough to stay on for for that long uh, personally this is a good song to nerd out on um, uh, theory music theory wise so you have to indulge oh. me on that a little bit uh, when it goes from that that thing it goes to uh So that part is in C Lydian, which is parallel to E minor, which is what they get into in the next part in the chorus. There you go. So they go from this uh, mode that I don't even know with a mix of uh, minor and major into C Lydian and then into E minor. Clever written. Uh, smells Smith to me, you know. I think, yeah, I think this bit, is, I think that bit is very, is Mr. Smith, yes. I love how when you get to be a certain level of maiden nerd, you can hear a part of a song and say, oh, yeah, that's Adrian. No, that's Yannick. Oh, yeah. do I hear yeah. a little Murray in there? Yeah, okay. And this is, again, a Smith-Harris song, and it sounds like it. Yep. And this is the album where I think that Adrian started to really get on board with the whole long songs and proggy songs train that Steve Harris was riding. And yeah. yeah, Adrian started showing off, hey, I can do this too. And the, the <clears throat> excuse me. And I believe that's to the credit of a lot of songs on Final Frontier. And I think that they're a little less meandering than a matter of life and death. I think that they stick, they stick their hooks in me a little better. Definitely, yeah hooks in you <laughs> but uh, but yeah uh, i would say this is uh, you had a really good point there i never really thought about that before but this is sort of adrian's defining moment in new maiden you know millennia maiden neo maiden whatever you want to well, call it like he's really stepping in here but yeah eric you're probably going to mention passion Dale, right you are correct sir yeah yeah <laughs> so that was maybe the start of that but this album he has a lot of writing credits on a lot of really good solos we'll listen to one in a bit and uh, really like kind of I saw this article, this heartwarming article uh, the other year, I think it was, when, when uh, Adrian said that one of the best things ever happened to him in his whole life was rejoining Iron Maiden, that he's so happy that he did, and, you know, yeah, basically one of the best decisions he ever made. And mm. in light of that, when you listen to Isle of Avalon, it's sort of a celebration, you know, of, of, of his return to the band. And, you know, Smith-Harris combo is cool, because you got the band leader, and then you got their, like, super secret sauce guitarist... Uh, uh, what did I call that? Uh, extra forces, you know, when he joined for Killers. So I love when they do that. We're getting into uh, Senjutsu in a while. That's another Smith Harris, you know, some type of vibe that, because they're very different songwriters. Very different. You know, I can't stress that enough. That yes. The way they write is absolutely different to each other. So a combo of that could, you know, bring interesting stuff. I think, yeah, it works ex so extremely well, those two together. Um, <clears throat> ideally, anyway. And even, yeah, uh, ideally. Yeah, know. yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, you know, and also like any kind of like time you get him in there. I mean, like like for like all the stuff you know. If if you see the credits, you know, it's a Smith Harris or you know, or it's a you know Harris Dickinson. You know, they're going to be those are going to be solid 
team effort. Point. Indeed. Yeah. So yeah, the song goes further, and here comes my first. You know, so far I'm very on board with this track, but my first criticism comes in what is at least in this tablature I'm looking at now called the chorus, which goes into a very di- diatonic normal mode. You know, cool switch over from the first weird scale to Lydian C to E minor, but the the, the very part. I'm not into. It's so great when it finally kicks in there and it's the payoff of the energy buildup of the beginning. For you, George, this part works then. If you see it as sort of a payoff, I guess that's what it's meant to be. The that thing. It, it preserves the energy that was built up when the song finally hit that Mother Earth, Can You Hear Me part. Love that and part. And of course, once you they've elevated that level of energy, they have to ride the wave with a chorus. And I like the melody, the whole... La da da da. I, mm-hmm. I can kind of get how that melody wouldn't exactly be for everyone. Uh, do you find it a little too annoying or a little too happy? Yeah, it's not for me. I find it a bit stock in its in its ways. You know, it sounds like very typical new maiden. Also, it's that part of Bruce's register which I don't love him in at that age, even when he strains a little bit. <laughs> Which is also why I can't vocalize that. It's way too high for my voice. You know? That's a <laughs> you know? lot of what bothered me about Final Frontier when I first heard it. But I've given him some level of forgiveness now that I understand. Dude, he's over 50 doing oh, yeah, this I mean, album. For sure, and he's yeah, still giving it his best shot. Yeah, yeah, we should be grateful yeah. that they're doing. They're still I mean, around. I've disclaimed before that I'm not the guy to criticize really anything Bruce does. It's a joke when I do it. But also we're doing this show, so I, you know, I have to bring my opinions forth and i just don't really like this chorus uh, i'm not too into it it goes in a, like e minor a g major c major d major very typical chords and from that exciting weird scale in the beginning c lydian pre-chorus into that feels like for me like almost they're dumbifying that's not a word there you know but there's no but you know nothing is a word until you you know no, 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 yeah. the song gets sort of dumbified at that point for me uh dumbed down dumbed down, dumbed down there you go, go phrase. thank you thank you guys dumbified sounds something sounds like something like george w bush would yeah or something i would <laughs> make work back say. in the day <laughs> a good way to describe george w bush isn't the whole point of a chorus to be dumped down when you think about it because the chorus has to be easy enough for the crowd to sing along with and complexity has a hard time being catchy like when you listen to a band like converge with these really crazy guitar licks mm, that go it's cool but it, you can't hum that you can't no and actually i was happy when you described the uh, the, the desired effect here that is you know letting loose of whatever tension you built up through i usually des- describe a pre-chorus as a you know bow and arrow and you're increasing the tension yep. that's a pre-chorus and a chorus should be letting it go and definitely has that effect i'm very glad it works for you uh, actually you know i'm really happy to hear that uh, seeing as it doesn't really for me but uh, then you know they were still they knew what they were doing is what i gather from your from your um, perspective on it yeah, like from a songwriting perspective, it, they are following like good patterns of build up, pre-chorus, then chorus, and but the real special part of this song is the middle part. Yep, it is. Uh, we have the post-chorus, which I like to mention. Uh, it's the kind of uh, something like I like that bit. I hear her crying the tears of an angel. Yeah. I'm hearing Bruce singing in my head right now as you're playing it. I 
think it's an awesome part and it goes into something we mentioned before so might as well hammer it in a line cliche so it's a falling line cliche or descending so it goes you know the bottom notes are completely chromatic playing every note going downwards uh, we talked about that last time in Ghost of the Navigator with a, an ascending line cliche in that cool as Janny Griff, you know. And I, I just like those. They just sound killer. You've got plenty of them in Megadeth, uh, Led Zeppelin, they're doing them a lot. And for me, that salvages that chorus that I'm not so into uh, because I love that. So for me, maybe I could have just went straight to that. That could have been my release going from, you know, and then straight. For me, that would have been better, you know. Yeah, it's really cool. It's a little short to be a chorus unto and of itself. Maybe. But they could have expanded it like they do sort of in the last instance of the song. Like they give it a second verse to that exact same melody. Leading out into the end with the lost souls and the Isle of the Dead that we were talking about before, we're coming full circle. Yep. Now I love that riff. It's not a, at all unique, but when you have that line cliche, you have such a good foundation to build a cool part on. And it works as a post-chorus too because it's a different melody. It's different, but not too different. But the energy level goes even higher than the chorus. Right. Oh. Then you get this little cool sort of transport rhythm. Day? Yup, that's him. Sounds like a little number of the beast. But here is where it happens. Yeah. This is the closest Maiden has ever sounded to Rush. And this 7-4 beat. They don't do it often. This is my favorite part of this album. Oh, this guitar part sways, dude. guitars super bright in the way out left there. double stops what other maiden song do you hear that in man and then this little tempo shift break back to the pre-chorus so yeah, I said it already. My favorite part on Final Frontier is, is this 7-4 uh, mm. part with that incredibly musical Adrian Solo, which, you know, he's always musical. He was musical when he entered yeah. on uh, Ides of March. That is a very musical solo. But here he's taking his, using his freedom, I guess, uh, to, to the utmost limits. Like you said, he, he, mm. he, he gets a lot more liberty here some way, or maybe just gathered up the, summoned up the courage to 
to take the band in these directions, which um, I think you're completely right when you're saying that uh, this is unparalleled in the rest of the discography, completely stands out and definitely very rush laden, you know. Absolutely. And this is the sort of thing that I love when Maiden does because for as old of a band as they are, they still have some new tricks to show you. Which is a cool, like I said, you know, like, like 15 albums in, they can still do something surprising. It's surprising, but it's still sort of within their, you know, their framework. It's not like it's not like they're, they're you know, they're starting to do like, you know, you know, like they, they went new metal and start rapping or anything. I mean, I know, I know, I know Bruce dabbled in that a little bit, but that not on a Maiden record. We're not um, talking about that. But, <laughs> what is that? No. Cyclops or something yeah. like that? <laughs> no, it's on. Uh, it's a song. Shoot all the clowns. Shoot all the clowns. Oh, okay. Doesn't it, it, still kind of, I mean, it, 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 the reason it feels weird is because you know what he's been doing. It, 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 he doesn't do it poorly. I'll say that. So uh, the question becomes it becomes does it go on the list let's uh, let's have you start then me and then George uh, I'm gonna say yes okay uh, I don't think it's gonna stay but you said yes no so you know why not say yes then because it's in there anyway there you go then let's make it unanimous because I think this is a pretty different track and I think it will stand up against some of the other maiden epics, you know, once we have enough time away, like once we reach the year 20, 30, and 40, and we can take mm. a much more complete look at the band from beginning to end, and yeah, yeah. we don't have so much argument over old stuff versus new stuff, I kind of feel like Isle of Avalon will hold up. This is pretty common to a lot of Final Frontier songs where the songs are very packed with lyrics. A lot of them are packed towards the end and the song ends pretty much with Bruce singing. A lot of Final Frontier songs end on a Bruce vocal and that's not something that I've seen in another album. Usually they have some sort of guitar line outro. Very interesting uh, sort of dichotomy that you uh, build there or set the stage for that I want to run by Eric uh, because when you write songs... Mm -hmm metal songs or other you know any type of i guess adventures guitar music in a shape or another there are two ways to go about this there is the seven sun way which is when you sort of go wild you don't go back you end at that you know i i tend to like to do that it's sort of like an outro solo or an outro jam type deal black sabbath are known to do this as well and then there's the master puppets way so you've reached that sort of pinnacle of 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 um, bridge or you know the song has went to a completely different mm -hmm. world but then you bring it back you know uh, uh what is it the hell is well oh, that natural habitat and you're straight back to yeah, it yeah. and he's also doing like a couple of paragraphs there at the way end of master puppets which i think is an amazing yeah. song i think it's the complete right call but seventh son would not have been good if they went straight back here they stand brothers no, them not. all so what do you think, Eric? What's the kind of, how do you judge if a song should end at the derail, derailing part of it, or should you bring it back? You know, what kind of dictates uh, the right decision? I, I, I don't have a, a you know, definitive answer there. Really. I think it very much depends. I mean, like I said, like those, those very clear examples you just uh, mentioned now, you know, it's very clear in both examples that what they ended up doing was the right thing for those songs. But you know, that might also be the fact. We well, we were sort of we were sort of were in this bit. We talked sort of this, this territory a couple weeks ago. We were talking about 
you know, I was talking about Tom Selleck and uh, fucking Harrison Ford. Well, maybe maybe it feels that right because that's what we know. That's what we've been known for like fucking most all our lives. If it'd been the other way, that might feel right as well. So I don't. I'm know. already warming up to Tom Selleck as Indiana Jones. Yeah, it could yeah. work. Or even Tom Selleck as a drummer for an Iron Maiden. No way he could play that. Or maybe you know magnum magnum I, mean, again, I, I, I don't think I, I don't think we should necessarily attack him for his drummer skills or lack thereof he's not really tempted or claimed he is a drummer the only person's ever done that is me. final episode <laughs> final episode of made need to see is a drum battle with uh, tom selleck and tom selleck uh, and harrison ford yeah wow that's gonna be hard to arrange uh, uh, that's gonna be tough it's gonna be expensive yeah, it, it, i mean <laughs> it, 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 the only the only way it would kind of work i think maybe tom selleck's an easier get than <laughs> fucking harrison ford my money's like, on also, harrison like, ford though you think he's probably a better drummer? Yeah, I think. I yeah, oh think. Yeah. yeah. But also, I, mean, I think it almost be the reason. What's interesting is if we were to reach out to either one of these guys, it probably would ping them somewhere. They probably get to the point where they almost they'd probably hear about it because, like, so this Iron Maiden podcast wants you to come on. He's probably like, you know, well, why? <laughs> 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 be strange <laughs> enough to make it um, maybe appealing. I don't know. No. Yeah, I imagine like we get in touch with Harrison Ford, and he's like, "No, I don't want to do it." And like, but we love you. He's like, "I know." Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Like uh, John Lennon when he met a yeah. huge fan, I was like, "This is the best day of my life, John." Well, for you it is. Oh, that, uh, so that, how'd that work out? Oh, it probably wasn't that guy. <clears throat> anyway, no, I don't want to get in trouble. There we <laughs> are. There we are. I knew it. I knew we were not getting two songs in an episode. You call it. You know us better than ourselves. Yeah. So uh, here we are. We're at the end of uh, Isle of Avalon, and at the end of this episode. Yeah. Any final thoughts on this, uh, on the matter at hand? Maybe if you're a fan of the older stuff and you're listening to this and you haven't really given Isle of Avalon much of a shot, turn it on and put away your phone and just try to listen to it and read the lyrics and get what they're going for. And you might come out with a different perspective. In the words of Ronnie Van Zandt, turn it up. And uh, that's it for this week. Uh, but we will be back next week. Uh, in fact, we will record next week right now. You know, unveiling the truth here. Uh-huh. We're going to get on a new letter as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, up the irons. Let's go from the north. Perfect. Let's get down to business so we can get back to the business of getting down. <laughs> Mike, I to say, in it. I just say, in it.